that constant work to make sure that you are not letting someone down is at the heart of it. Because although people take time to choose, if you say you got it and you take their money, doesn't matter whether it's from a retailer or a customer, and then you let them down, you've got a far, far bigger problem rebuilding your reputation. And you've got a lot of work to do to build that back up if you make that mistake. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of the Retail Remix podcast. You know me by now. I'm Alicia Esposito, and I have with me today two of our esteemed keynote speakers for Retail X, Tim Mall and Mark Ostrinek. Gentlemen, thank you both so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Yeah, right. thank, thank you. you. Thank you. So we are here, the first day of the show. We are masked up. Before we dig into the topic at hand, why don't you share a little bit about yourselves, your titles, your roles, just so everyone gets the lay of the land here. Tim, how about you go first? Okay, sure, yeah. Um, my name's Tim. I'm the CEO and president of Diono. Diono is a juvenile products brand that sells car seats for children. The company was founded in 1999. I joined in 2017. And what most people know us for is the Radian all-in-one convertible car seat, which is one of America's most loved convertible car seats. Millions of children ride in one every day. Great, I'm Mark Ostranek. I'm the Chief Sales Officer for Big Commerce. So that means I lead sales and go to market across the globe. I'm an engineer by trade who got converted into uh, selling, been in technology my whole life and have really enjoyed e-commerce. I've been in a number of uh, e-commerce companies and in software, and now I get to spend a lot of time on the platform side working with merchants and helping them grow. I love it. So our conversation is going to be around a few overarching trends and themes, especially around your session at Retail X, but two different perspectives probably from the retail and slash brand side, and then from probably the technical and tactical side, which is very exciting. So your session, of course, is all about hybrid retail and the future of commerce. A very big topic that a lot of people want to know about, right? Like what's to come. Before we get into the future though, let's talk about what's happening now. What are some of the most pressing priorities, issues that you're hearing or experiencing? Mark, why don't we start with you so we can go big picture. Sure, yeah, I mean, I think we serve a broad range of merchants in a broad range of industries. And so the catch to that question is, it really depends on what industry you're in. And so that runs the gamut. We're seeing really interesting strategies happen in food and beverage, where people are focused on the physical delivery of product to consumer, that's a huge change for that industry. When we get into traditional kind of consumer products and consumer goods, I think the picture is what are people gonna do in their physical stores if they have stores and or what are they gonna do in the physical channels where product is being distributed and delivered? And I think that opens up some really interesting and difficult questions because we don't know, right? Here we are sitting at a trade show where we're wearing masks and making it work but we simply don't know what the next four and six and 12 months has in store. But as retailers and or anyone in this business, you have to make some investments and decisions along the way. And so one of the things I said in the keynote was, there is some important element of risk and luck in terms of what people are taking on and doing, right? You're trying to make educated decisions about where you're gonna spend your time and money. And, and I think that's at the point where we are right now, meaning there are really interesting opportunities, but you can only make finite numbers of them work. 
and, and it's about making the bets and taking the bets that you're going to make here for the scale of the, of the business I'm going. So to that end, Mark, you spoke high level, the notion of it kind of depends on what industry you're in or category, your target consumer. So Tim, what does that look like for you? What is kind of top of mind for your firm right now? Well, I think if you're looking at the everything that's going on in the world today, in all the time that I've been in business, I don't think I have ever been in such, well, I suppose, an interesting market with the different challenges. Not only are you coping with a huge transformation with how customers are shopping and how they're interacting with your brand. On top of that, you've got a global supply chain crisis that means it's almost, I mean, it's almost impossible sometimes to even get the goods that you need to sell. So you're coping with massive changes in cost prices, massive changes in supply chain, issues with physically getting a container, then you've got to try and get those goods to the market. You still can't get the right number of people to manage that whole process all the way through. And I've got to say for us at the moment, one of our biggest challenges is recruitment. There simply aren't enough people that we can recruit to do the jobs. So actually from our side, selling the product is actually the really easy bit. That we know, we, we have a huge demand for our product. We have a huge demand in many cases that we can't supply because of all the other issues that I've spoken about. So I think what COVID has done in the last 18 months is broken something that was very fragile. And it was probably on the edge, ready to be broken for many, many years. And nobody knew it or everybody was just hoping. I think that's the change. And I'm sure if you speak to a lot of retailers or, or brands like us, that's the big challenge is coping with what this week with actually what this week brings and being able to satisfy all of the demands and on top of that i guess the other thing that we've all had to learn in the last eight months like we are all here now as you said we're all masked up learning how to communicate and work with people in a way when you might not see them very much has been has been a massive challenge and by that, I don't actually mean the people that work for you in the company. It's all the other people that you're interacting with around the world, which you're having to do by, by video. So for us, it's speaking to colleagues in China and doing quality control processes with our team over there, all by video. Whereas previously, you'd have a team go. You can't get on a plane. So it's, I mean, I think unusually, last night was the first time I met Mark. Well, as normally, having been working through a project where we've launched five websites, we'd have probably met each other or we'd have actually met somebody from Big Commerce prior to last night. And poor for that, everything has been done on video. And we've had to learn how to cope with that with, with no personal interaction whatsoever. So huge change. And I think that's the overriding sort of message. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like retailers are not strangers to change, right? Like it's just kind of the nature of the industry. Consumers are always changing. There are always new channels, new technologies, new opportunities, but there's also the competitive landscape too, right? There's, there's, there are a lot of forces that I think retailers always have to navigate, but especially now over the past 18 months, I think Tim, you laid it out perfectly. It seems like every step of the product development cycle or the value chain, there, there's like that point of disruption or a point of uncertainty. But Mark, I want you to kind of break down since you kind of look at the overall retail landscape, you're probably working with a multitude of different brands and retailers. So they're probably thinking long-term vision, like how do they develop their strategy? How do they 
remain agile but stay laser focused on goals. A lot of things probably up in the air right now. So, I mean, what are some of the unknowns or the things that maybe they have to account for in their planning processes that they may change, they may not? I mean, and kind of break down like what, what they should be thinking about right now. Yeah, I think the whole notion of being uh, adaptable, I think, is now a really interesting challenge because that affects a lot of things. That affects how people do pricing, how they do promotions, how they manage inventory, even the planning cycle by which they refresh product. All of those have been thrown up in things that they held as sacred, right? Kind of running a quarterly product refresh. Now that may not be the case, right? That may have fundamentally changed. And I think the key piece of that then is having the process, whether it's with teams or and or technology, to be able to be adaptable, to be able to change that, I think is a big piece of this. It's also understanding that if costs are in flux for a product, it puts a lot of pressure on sales and marketing channels for them to be accurate, uh, to be up to date, and to be kind of in sync with the core business in terms of how you're pricing and merchandising and managing that product. And so a lot of the unknowns that sit out there, kind of the known unknowns and then the unknown yeah. unknowns. <laughs> unknown unknowns are pretty hard to plan for. Uh, the known unknowns are, are the how can they be more flexible than they are today and or faster in their time to market so that so when the unknown unknown happens, they can actually adapt fast enough to be able to fit the selling model that they're in. And then I think the other piece of this is that consumers are, are changing, but the unknown out there is really by how much? And so one of the things that I think is interesting in retail specifically, right? Retail is at the heart of so much of the change that happened during the pandemic, meaning the abrupt change from in-store to online, right? That was violent, right, in terms of that change, right? That was not subtle, it wasn't a gradual, it was a switch. And yet humans change typically at very slow rates, right? We don't like to break our habits. And so I think that there's also a belief that as things continue to open up and expand in terms of in-person selling, in-person retail experiences, candidly, people want that. They want to feel product, they want to be sold to, right? It may sound silly, but people actually want to have that experience. And I think that's one of the things that I personally believe we'll see roaring back. The question is at what level will be the in-store and that market experience? And so this whole topic of hybrid retail is really on that piece, right? Which is, it isn't just one channel, how can we maximize e-commerce as this lever? It's the reality that we're gonna operate in both channels. It's just at, at what level, what capacity, and at what pace. And I think that's the unknown that a lot of retailers are grappling with. Yeah, because I was gonna ask where hybrid retail comes into play here. So if you were to compare like hybrid retail to omni-channel, how do they support each other or, or fuel each other? Like I'm, I'm trying to understand. So is it hybrid retail is like the levels at which the different channels play a role in the mix or? I want to make sure I get it right. Yeah, I mean, I would boil hybrid retail down to some of the connection between the digital e-commerce world and the physical selling world. So think about classic things in that lane or buy online, pick up in store, right? Or because you're using one channel to drive someone into another. And that used to be because of promotions or, or advertising, right? You might drive people in store. Now it's because of fulfillment, right? And, and maybe utilizing existing store infrastructure that they have. And so I'd say the difference between that and omni-channel 
is significant. You can actually, they're not segregated, right? But that omnichannel is really about how do I get my product and my message and my marketing in front of people where they are? That's a little different than saying, hey, how do I use the points of presence that either I have or my channel has in order to have a shared experience that blends those two things together, right? So the uh, hybrid retail is I'm in a physical store, but I'm using my mobile phone to do an AR version of the couch that I'm looking at because I want to see it in a different fabric or tone. That's interesting, right? Or maybe Tim's product where you know, it's interesting in-car applications, right, for actually showing and, and installing that product. That's what we're talking about, the hybrid, right? You're using some physical access that the consumer has or that a retail channel has to augment the experience that they would otherwise have if it was only digital. And, and I believe that retailers that have both have an advantage because it's still a human being buying the product. There's a human nature to wanting to see, touch, feel, experience it in the physical world as opposed to just being in a digital-only lane. Fascinating. So Tim, what does that mean in your world then? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because we don't have our own shops. We work with other retailers. And I would say that the biggest challenge we've got is a consistent brand experience across multiple touch points. And also, as a brand, getting control of that consistency and not allowing your brand to fall into the hands of third parties who do something that you don't like with it. And because we're also in a heavily regulated industry, the pressure that we've got at the moment through a lot of the marketplaces where you get counterfeit goods coming into the country, we've actually, that as uh, by way of an example, we had that in Canada where somebody imported a counterfeit product under our brand name and we had to take action to get that removed and actually go through a whole process with the authorities to make them understand that it was not our product and as a brand we had to take responsibility for somebody else someone else's problem which was which was deeply frustrating so i think it's that consistency that's important but also and uh, building on what marcus said here I think as a brand, you've got to put your product where your customer is. And for us very specifically, because our customer is mainly 18 to 35 years old and mainly female, you've got to make sure that you are giving them that shopping experience where they choose to be. Now, if that means they choose to be on Instagram and they want to shop there, great. If they're on Amazon, they want to be there. If they're shopping on our own website, great. But how they then interact with you through social media, through live chat, through virtual one-to-one -one fittings. All of those things, that, that experience has got to come together. And for us, although we have a singular purchase, so someone buys a car seat from us and they use it for many years before they need to replace it because that's the life of the product. But in the build-up to that decision, there is a tremendous amount of information gathering that women go through to make sure they're making the right decision. So the research period for a brand like us could be as much as three months. And that's borne out actually by an interesting fact here from Amazon that I know that almost 50% of the customers who buy on our brand from Amazon, it's the first time they've gone to Amazon and looked at our product. That's what they tell us. But the other 50% are there for 90 days looking and searching. So what it shows is the 50% that just turn up and bought it have looked somewhere else. So it's learning how all of these different channels sort of play together as a retailer. 
So, or rather as a brand selling within retail, and it's making each one of those touch points with the customer incredibly consistent. Tim, you did a really nice job outlining the challenges and the opportunities, right? Because like, let's use Instagram as an example. Like I know I personally, when I was registering for things for my son, he's three and a half now, but social media was a very big first step in that process, whether it was through parenting accounts or influencers, a little bit of everything, right? But then Instagram also is a very big breeding ground for possibly counterfeit brands in a way. Like I've heard of people say, hey, I want to do social commerce. I want to do it through Instagram. It's super easy. I'm going to buy it. And then what they get is not what they saw in that image. It's either lower quality or a different brand. So it's interesting that sometimes the biggest opportunities also lead to challenges that you need to prepare for. I know it wasn't a complete mirror of your scenario, but it's interesting to see how there are pluses and minuses to everything, and you have to have a strategy in place for managing all of that. And that's why I know I mentioned in the keynote that one of the reasons why we're pushing forward with Wish as a marketplace and making that work is because we know there's a lot of secondhand products sold on there from Diona. And you should never buy a second-hand car seat. It's just because you don't know whether that car seat has been in an accident. And most people don't understand that. Now, if we can put our product there and educate and dominate because we're the brand, then we're doing what's important, which is putting child safety first. Because that's what keeps me up at night, if you like, is making sure that you're looking after young children. We take a great responsibility. And what people don't understand is if you buy a car seat, thankfully, 99% of the time, a car seat is never ever used because it's only designed to work once in an accident. For the rest of the time, it just sits there and you put a child in it. It doesn't actually do what it's built for. Because of that, it's almost impossible to tell whether that product has been used or not for what it was designed for, for someone who's not an engineer. And so consequently for us, taking control of that and making sure that we're giving people that choice and that information about buy from the brand, buy and know that you've got that security, get an extended warranty from us, do all of those things. Don't compromise. But that's about education and being available. And if you ignore those channels because you consider they are not right, they're down market, they are undesirable. Not and there's on a lot, brand, yeah. Yeah, not on brand. I, I mean, I hate using that phrase, but you are absolutely <laughs> right, not on brand. People what, say it. What you're doing is you're saying for a group of customers that have been used to shopping there, we're not going to support you. Whereas I would rather be, if you like, on brand, but on those marketplaces and provide the choice rather than just letting a lot of other people take control of that channel. A lot of really strong points there, Tim. So as we think about the future, right? Everyone wants to know what's next, what's coming, how can I prepare? Mark, I guess this question is more for you first, then Tim, if you want to weigh in. We're talking about this notion of hybrid retail, being where the customer is, but creating that harmony or connectivity between those different channels. You spoke about AR earlier, which I think is a really strong example. We saw a lot of great applications emerge over the past 18 months. But are there any new trends, new tech that you think may be accelerating or rising to the top that you think has the most potential to create this hybrid retail experience that we're talking about? I mean, look, AR for sure is an interesting one because of the the interactivity that comes with it. I think we're still really in our early days there in terms of the real applications for it, but I think we will see more and more of that as a category. I think, I think the other is, 
that the notion of real-time product availability and inventory in distributed retail locations is still a real challenge because often the consumer is looking to buy a specific model, color, right, a very specific SKU level, and that there's a difficult challenge in hybrid retail of being able to know what's actually in store, meaning the store uh, SKU and inventory management is not at the sophistication of what might be in a warehouse, right, that's doing pick, pack, and ship where you know down to individual SKU level exact counts. And so I think there's an opportunity there in terms of, or we'll see more sophistication, whether that's RFID, whether that's other technologies, really becoming part of the retail experience. And then some of these tie together, right? So the other thing I think that we will see is the in-store experience linking to the endless aisle concept so that the store doesn't have the same pressure to actually stock every, the match of what's in stock relative to what people buy that match rate becomes less important because you can experience the wrong color of the product but still get the experience element out of it and then have it fulfilled direct to door knowing that now shipping fulfillment, everybody understands that you can basically have any product within two days, right? And if you were willing to pay a little more, probably within a, within a day. And so I think that we will see that bridge between what's physically in store can be more experiential and then what actually ends up being fulfilled ends up being pick, pack, ship, drop to your door as opposed to what it is in, in the store itself. And so I think that we've seen that in other industries for decades, right? You know, car dealers have done this for it's the advent of vehicles, right? Where you can go in and experience the wrong color of the vehicle, but still decide to buy, right? In a high consideration product take the consideration cycle down a bit to something that's hundreds of dollars or, or tens of dollars, and you can I think, achieve a lot of the same result by driving more into boutique experience and touch point as opposed to having to manage full you know, inventory in that lane. And I think a lot of retailers are experimenting there, right? Meaning they're starting to try that, they're trying to see what, what people look, but it gives you this benefit of the magic of e-commerce is you can test new SKUs. In fact, you don't even have to have the product built yet. You can just test interest in a product, right? To see how many people actually, you can put it out of stock and just see how many people go to the page, right? Or show it, get them to land on the page and, and learn how many people even click to add it. And then you, you can suppress the inventory. And so I think that that now can be a tool that's used in physical storefronts, either if it's your own brand store is great or even in a channels experience that way. And I think the last piece of the puzzle that I think is really interesting is the sharing of data and information. So especially for brands that work with large channel partners, be that the Targets, the Walmarts, the Amazons, right? The brand gets to learn so much from the direct business, but some of that is related to the product innovation that will happen, meaning you're learning about your customer, what they want, what changes are gonna evolve. And the goal is you end up building better products. And so this notion of the competition between the channels really is less about competition. It's, it's driving your business to produce better products and better volume at better price points, right? It lifts the tide of the economy of scale for a business and a manufacturer. And I think that, that ends up being positive for both the retail channel partners and the brand itself. I love the way you connected all of those points, Mark, and, and, and I agree. I think it's interesting to see how that inventory availability, that alignment, impacts the customer experience, right? Like we've largely, like in the past, we would cover it as two very distinct 
buckets, I guess you could say, but now we're slowly starting to see retailers look at everything as just like a holistic journey and a holistic experience. So Tim, I guess my question for you is, does that excite you as a brand that works with so many different retailers, but also as a brand that's trying to create unity in its own customer experience, right? Like what's kind of driving your priority set right now? Well, I certainly agree with everything that Mark says. And I spent a lot of time as a retailer running shops. And when I was in, I actually had a shop on Regent Street in London, and that was all about the experience. There was an amazing Italian restaurant there. There was the most beautiful displays. It was a truly immersive shopping experience for juvenile products. And I think it was the best juvenile shop in the world for a, for a long, long time. So I'm all about the experience. But that experience can be translated in lots and lots of different ways. And I think, so as a brand that doesn't control the retail experience currently, it actually has to deal with retailers who are generally not experience focused at the moment, or they, I would like them to be. You have to create that experience some other way. And we use social media to do that, to create a look and feel for the brand and tell stories. And I think that our story, to bring it back to Diono at the moment, is made of Seattle. And what we have done is we have woven a story around and into the scenery of Seattle, which is unique. And Seattle's a wonderful city. It's, it's great. It's a fabulous city and resonates around the world, actually, because most people have never been there. It's got this incredible sort of mystique about it, I think, born out of Pearl Jam and Nirvana and now, of course, Amazon and hundreds and hundreds of tech startup businesses and a space needle. And what we've done is we've taken all of that and melted it into our brand to give that experience and constantly layering that in. Because otherwise, how do you differentiate? And I think that people today want to connect with a brand in the way that they connect with a friend. And you're either able to make that connection with someone and give them that experience and mean more to them than just a transaction. And knowing that they might connect with you through whatever their preferred channel is, but they're going to touch you in a multitude of different ways. But you've got, and that's why, to my earlier point, you've got to be really, really consistent. I also think it was fascinating that Mark brought up the inventory issue because that is a very real issue. So to sort of build on that point as a brand, we have one warehouse with inventory in it, but we are satisfying a multitude of retailers as well as our own website. And one of the attractions that we have had, and a bit of a plug here for Big Commerce, but one of the reasons why we have worked with Big Commerce is because it gives me a single view of inventory to multiple retailers, which means you don't oversell. Because the very worst thing you can do, particularly at the moment when supply chain is tight, is take one more order than you should. And being able to have a single view of inventory is great. And we are not quite there yet because we still have an ERP system which services other retailers. But that constant work to make sure that you are not letting someone down is at the heart of it. Because although people take time to choose, if you say you've got it and you take their money, it doesn't matter whether it's from a retailer or a customer, and then you let them down, you've got a far, far bigger problem rebuilding your reputation. And you've got a lot of work to do to build that back up if you make that mistake. Really great points, gentlemen. So to close out, I always like to close these conversations with some takeaways, recommendations. Obviously, Mark, you're looking at this again, bigger picture probably than, than Tim has, but Tim, you kind of live and breathe this every day. You experience some of these issues and of course have your own set of goals. So Mark, let's, let's start with you. I mean, do you have any closing recommendations for I guess both brands and retailers as they strive to create this hybrid retail experience? And 
also doing so in this rapidly changing environment. Any closing tips? I think you hit the nail on the head with the last couple of words there, right? Which is <laughs> building for flexibility and that the flexibility is what's proven to be invaluable for retailers. And so there's a bias from, as a technology provider, right, we try and enable that flexibility, right? And so the goal is to basically give give our retailers the sharpest knife possible, right, in order to cut their way through what ways in which they want to work, where they can make those decisions and be agile enough to adapt and, and change. And some of that comes from us, meaning being flexible, but a lot of that comes from just the industry, meaning how do you take advantage of best of breed when you need it? And I think that would be one recommendation just to kind of leave a point with is that best of breed is great, but make the choices about what you care about best of breed in and what's actually going to affect the business. Invest there, bring in those partners, those specialists that really know that part of the business where you're saying, hey, here's what I'm doing in my experience and really focus on, okay, then what is it that I need, right? What expertise or what product or what capabilities do I need to go deep there and be comfortable investing and placing some bets there as opposed to trying to just do everything well enough it'll actually be that you'll be deficient in, in the areas where you actually care the most. Really good distinction, Mark, thank you. Tim, how about you? Well, from my side as a brand, I think the biggest learning I've got and probably the biggest thing that I'm looking at in the future is to spend time with people who are real authorities in their, in their field and listen and learn from them and use that as my way of innovating with less risk if you like because you're talking to some people who really understand what they're trying to do and try a lot of new things i think it's very easy to say i've done it before and it didn't work and frankly those days have gone you don't know what happened last week doesn't work next week and i think that's what the last 18 months has done is accelerated that so for me it's embracing and managing change but doing it in a way where you're listening to industry innovators and I think as a small company we're a very small company if I look at the digital side of our business or the digital marketing side I'd probably have to have a team of 50 100 people to even begin to get close to the talent pool that I can dip into by speaking to specialists in each one of those fields and so I think for me the other big feature of the future is what does the structure of a company look, look like, particularly a small company? I can't speak for big companies. I work for big companies, but I don't at the moment. But I think to be able to be agile, you have to work with partners who can bring new ideas to you because what you can't afford to do as a small company is employ all of those people with all of that expertise. That's a really great way to close out because we can have the best tech, we can have the best experience, but you need people to drive it all. So I think it's a very strong connecting point. Well, Tim, Mark, Thank you again so much for taking the time, for being at Retail X with us, and of course, for being on the show today. Thank you again. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And to all of you listening, thank you for joining us again for this very special episode of Retail Remix. If you like what you hear, drop us a review. Um, you may be listening on Audible Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever else. You can likely leave a review, so do that so we know how we're doing. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. We'll have some more content coming to you from Retail X. So you can listen in on some great conversations and great insights from the show. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up. <laughs>